Have your friends ever convinced you to do something that's just completely crazy? How many of you went right back to college as you thought about that question? Your college days and like, oh, yeah, from time to time. Well, in college, I had a great group of, of guys, right? My roommates, my friends. And, uh, you know, they would, they, they would convince me to sometimes do things a little crazy. Now, we weren't like crazy, crazy, just like good fun, crazy. And one of those things was, you know, they convinced me, hey, let's go catch a, a movie, okay? Let's catch a midnight showing of a movie, okay? Let's catch a midnight showing of a movie, and then let's go to Taco Bell afterwards, okay? And you have classes the next day. And your first class is an 8 a.m. first thing in the morning class. It was not a good day. Or somehow, somehow, your friend convinces you that you can jump over your other friend. I'm talking like not a trampoline or anything, just like he's standing there and I'm just going to like jump over him somehow, okay? Uh, built up with the confidence of a, being a 19-year-old and um, having done parkour for like two weeks. I'm like, I can do this. My friends convinced me I could do this. And so, you know, that, that was, that's what led to my first time at the chiropractor, <laughs> Dr. Bender. Our friends carry crazy influence over us, can't they? In fact, one person said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because they have an influence over us. They will guide, they're part of what guides us, right? That's why it's super important we surround ourselves with the right people. Well, today, in our second week of our series, Follow Me, as we look at the gospel according to Mark, honing in on what it means to follow after Jesus, we are looking at five friends that unite together, and honestly, what they do is kind of crazy. But as we explore this passage, we'll see faith on display. And we'll learn something about faith and what it means to live a life of faith. And so as we open up God's Word, and I encourage you to do so, to to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, consider our King, consider His kingdom, and how we're called to respond to the good news of Jesus. We'll be looking at the first part of Mark 2. Um, We're covering Mark 2, 1 through 12 today. But if you've been joining us in this series, we're only in the second week. We've been reading a chapter each week along the way, and we've been encouraging you to even write out the chapter leading up to the week, trusting that as we go slower and deeper, uh, God's Spirit will illuminate more things within us. And so I continue to encourage you to, to keep at that. If you've fallen behind, just maintain a, a consistent pace. Don't worry about being in line. Um, it, it's okay. It'll still be good. But right now we're in Mark 2. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported he was at home. And many were gathered together, and there was no more room not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. Let's pause. So Jesus is in this house preaching. He wasn't on a healing campaign or a miracle tour, though everywhere he goes, those things happen. Uh, But it's not one where everyone's bringing the sick to him. And we're back in Capernaum again. 
The last time we were in Capernaum, in Mark chapter 1, uh, he cast out a demon in the synagogue, you'll remember. And, and he cast it out. It was on the Sabbath, too, mind you. He cast out this demon, and word spread like rapid fire, which was pretty crazy because it was the Sabbath. You know, things don't move fast on the Sabbath. They're supposed to, intended to move slowly. And then Jesus, excuse me, goes to Simon and Andrew's home. He heals their mother. She, she goes to work serving them, preparing dinner for them. And when evening comes, when the Sabbath is broken, at the end of the Sabbath, the masses arrive at the doorstep of this home. And you'll remember at the end of chapter 1 of Mark that, that they have their sick, they have their demon-possessed. In fact, in 1 verse 34, it says, The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. So this is the last time that he was in Capernaum. Jesus said then, let's go somewhere else. Let's leave. Let's leave Capernaum. I want to go to some of the surrounding villages. And this is what he said, so I can preach there also. Then he went on to say, that's why I have come. So he talked about last week, his primary purpose was to bring the kingdom and to preach the kingdom. The message to repent and believe in the good news, the kingdom of God is here. Now, miracles are one thing, but Jesus longs for folks to understand who he is and why he can do what he does. A few days pass, and now he's back in Capernaum. And you see some parallels here to what we just read. Everyone heard he was home. Now, we know Jesus didn't actually have a home, but he did have these little base of operations. And this is likely uh, Peter, or excuse me, Simon becomes Peter, and Andrew's home. He kind of used that as a base of operations within Capernaum. And you wonder, did this town have people like standing watch for Jesus, longing with expectancy in their hearts for him to come back after what he had done? And then it says, as we just read, they gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. They have swarmed this house, trying to get close to Jesus. But this time, instead of the, uh, the primary purpose of healing and casting out demons, it said, he preached the word to them. Now the crowds, they likely came for the healing again. That's what he did last time he was there. But Jesus had something else in mind. He had a deeper healing in mind, a life-saving, soul-saving healing that only Jesus can offer. He had something else in mind. And he does that, doesn't he? We approach Jesus expecting one thing, and it becomes quite clear he has something else completely in mind, something better in mind. So once again, the, the house is completely crowded. It's overstuffed. It's overflowing. And Jesus sits there preaching. We pick up with verses 3 through 4. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. There is so much in those two verses, and I just love it. 
Jesus is doing his thing. House is completely full. It's crowded, all of that. And then we have these, these five guys, four of them carrying their friend who's on his bed on a mat. And it's just fascinating. For many of you, even folks who didn't grow up in the church, it's, this is one of those stories, these, these accounts of, of what, what has happened that you probably have heard before. But think about these five guys don't have any dialogue recorded. <laughs> it's quite amazing, actually, what we have. And yet, I feel like we know so much about them. Primarily, they care deeply for one another. Certainly, the man on the mat to go through all this to bring him to Jesus. They'll do anything to bring their friend to Jesus. And I also wonder about this crowd. There are a whole bunch of people there. And the crowd sees this group of, 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 of guys carrying their friend on a mat, and it says they could not get near to Jesus. Why wouldn't the crowd get out of the way? We don't know, but we can wonder and ponder over this. Were they just so captivated by Jesus and his message? Were they, were they so focused, laser-like focused on what Jesus was saying they didn't even notice? Or was it more so that they just didn't want to lose their spot? Was it, was it they didn't want to miss out that in their own selfishness, they were blocking others from reaching Jesus? And if that's the one, then that's a warning for all of us. But these friends are determined. Remember, this is, this is about faith we're talking about today, and they have faith. Okay, they can't get to Jesus that way, the normal way. And it, I mean, I love it. They, they already somehow talked their friend into letting them carry him. We don't know how far. He could have been on next door. He could have been on the other side of town. We don't know. And we don't know how big this guy is and heavy. If he's a paralytic, that means he hasn't been walking and exercising. We don't know. But they convinced this guy, hey, let's go to Jesus. Let's find another way. And I, I picture it like, like me and my buddies, right, hanging out. I can see these guys all hold on the bed, and they all kind of look at each other. They look up to the roof. They look back at each other. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> now, in that day, houses were built with external stairs. Here's a little picture of it. That's, that's a, a drawing. It's not an actual picture of the time, just a Clarify, and you'll see there's outside steps there that go up. Now, I, it was hard to actually find a picture of, of this. Realistically, they likely didn't even have that break in it. It was likely just one, one spot up. So you can imagine it'd be quite steep, pretty narrow to get up there. But they did have external stairs. So it's not like they're like, you know, trying to carry him up and climb up and all that. They did have stairs that they went up. And even though there's four of them, this is a grown man we're talking about. Have you ever, you know, given a kid a piggyback ride upstairs? We do that, and we're just huffing and puffing by the end, man. Or a better example, maybe moving a couch up or downstairs. You ever move a couch upstairs? Whose favorite thing is that, right? No. No, it's not easy work, you know. Pivot, there you go. Then they get on the roof with their guy, and they have to break through. They didn't have skylights back then, all right? 
How did they break through? Did they use their hands? Did they come prepared with like tools? What did they do? Did they run back and get stuff? What? We don't know, but this isn't like the easy, like quick, like sterile thing we often imagine it. This was like a crazy thing they're doing. And they're up on this roof. How are we going to get through? We got to get this guy to Jesus. All of that. Here's a picture of the best representation we can really kind of gather of what roofs looked like. This is from inside looking up. It wasn't just a bunch of hay they had to just sweep aside and they can drop their front through, right? No. Uh, and that day, flat roofs, they consisted of branches or sticks that were all thatched together and they combined them with clay and compacted earth. Because they had a, you know, it didn't rain a lot, but when it did, they had to keep the rain out. If you've ever had a flat roof, they're no fun to maintain. So they had to build it in the best way they could. The account, according to Luke, also mentions clay tiles. And so that was common at that time. Some houses would also have clay tiles. So this is a significant job. This is like a call Matt Bronsink type of job. All right? <laughs> yeah, and a dirty job. We'll get to that in a minute. Because they're working, right? They're working. They're removing all the stuff. You know dirt and debris is falling below. There's no way you could do it without that. So remember that crowd that couldn't be bothered? Or they were just so captivated? Now, dirt is falling on them and all this stuff. I mean, their hands must have been so cut up, too. I move my Christmas tree and I'm like a mess. Right? They're moving these sticks and these branches and all of this. Nothing about bringing their friend to Jesus was easy. These friends are showing us something about faith. The first thing we can pull out about faith from these fellows is that these men dared to do the difficult. It's called faith. It's not called comfort. They persevered through several obstacles to get to Jesus. They carried him, we don't know how far, even with four of them, still heavy. The doors blocked. They go up and navigate the stairs. After the stairs, the roof. None of that is easy. They dared to do the difficult. And we must turn it towards ourselves. Are we willing to do the hard work, to do the discipline, to do the gritty, persevering, get-after-it type of work to come to Jesus. So these guys, they're working. They're removing this roof. It had to have been noisy. And mind you, they have to get a grown man and his mattress, hopefully it's not like a California king, right? Uh, through the roof, down to Jesus. That's a big hole. It is noisy work. It would have taken time. So for all this time, the banging and the clanging and the scrambling and all the debris coming down is going on. It kind of reminds me of when we're sitting in church and you have that sweet baby in church and poor mom and dad are doing their very best. They're already stressed out to the max, sitting there with their kid. Please be good. Please don't cry. But the baby doesn't care. The baby is just wailing, right? We can be distracted. When we're not in a healthy place, we can be annoyed, right? Or when we have a group of kids and they're just running around, they're running amok throughout the church, and it's like, careful, don't hurt anyone. We don't want anyone to get hurt. So I always tell Miles, don't sprint. 
and not near people. <laughs> He's seven. He only listens so much. But you know what? For me, and I'm sure for most of you, praise God for that crying baby. Praise God for that running kid. I would much rather have them in the house of the Lord than not. So cry as much as you want. I see you over there, Archer. Let it out. And run as you want because you are in the house of the Lord. And may you be raised up to come and know him and love this place and love the one we worship in this place. Jesus knew as he's preaching what is going on. I'm up here. I know when you're opening a mint. I know when your phone rings. I know when you're nodding off or just really deeply focused. Yes, God. Those, that's the amen nod. <laughs> What's going on? Jesus knew what was going on. He's Jesus, right? And you know he's just smiling inside. He's thrilled about this distraction. He is thrilled about what's happening because they're trying to get to him. And these friends were willing to do what was difficult. Yes, but they also were willing to do whatever it took. They were willing to forget any kind of normalcy or piety or orthodox way about trying to come to Jesus. They're not going to like march there in their holy robes. Yes, I'm coming to Jesus. No, they dared to do the unorthodox. They had no issue breaking up the roof. They saw the door was blocked. They didn't call a committee and discuss it with seconds and discussions and Robert's rules and all that. No. They didn't, like many of us might do in our human side of things, pout and have a little pity party. I just wanted to see Jesus. I couldn't get to him. Why didn't you see Jesus? I couldn't get to him, so I went home. That's very normal. We all do that. But they didn't do that. Their faith compelled them to find another way. They did what was necessary. They risked the disapproval of not just the owner of the house whose roof they're breaking up, but every single person of their town who is crowded in that place. They were causing a ruckus. They were causing a mess. They, would be, they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And it teaches us not just about having faith, but what it means to live on mission. As a church body of a fellow group of believers, a little bit bigger than this small group of friends, it shows us and reminds us the mission of God, the mission of the kingdom never changes, but the ways we go about it, fulfilling it and getting after it does change. The mission doesn't change, the method changes. The, the mission is for us, we package it through love, live, and lead, like Jesus and leading others to Jesus. It's the same mission of the entire church since Jesus came. But the reality is, our methods will change. We've said it before, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it, it helps get to the point that we'll do anything short of sin to bring people to Jesus. We will not let any kind of status quo reign supreme, any kind of normalcy reign supreme. We will creatively do what is necessary to draw others into the life-saving presence of Christ by thinking outside the box and daring to do the unorthodox. These people are trying to bring their friend to Jesus. All throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus never rebukes someone who interrupts him. Never rebuke someone who's trying to get to him. 
They, he never criticizes the interruption. Not once. He doesn't get uptight. He doesn't get disturbed. I dare say he delights. You remember the passage and the children are trying to get to Jesus and the disciples think they're doing what they're supposed to do. No, 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 no. He's doing something important. And Jesus is like, oh, what is more important than this? Get over here, kids. Let the children come. And you remember, as we'll read in a few chapters from now, uh, Jesus is surrounded in a huge crowd and there's the woman with an issue of blood for years and years and years and years. And if only, if only, if only I touch his garment, I'll be healed. Touches it. Power goes out of Jesus, right? Meaning he knows what's going on, essentially. He could just keep going and let her, but oh no, he has something to teach. Hold on, who touched me? My daughter, your faith has made you well. Interrupt me, says Jesus. Come to me. Come to me and bring your friends with you. These guys define the status quo. They kept their focus aggressively on their mission. That is faith, an urgent faith, a kingdom-minded faith, daring to do the unorthodox. Are we willing to do the unorthodox to bring others into the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, as they're doing this, breaking up the whole roof, all of that, you know, out of those four, there was a deacon among them. Like, we got to pay for this roof, guys. We can't just tear this up. This is not kosher. This is not cool. You know they're aware of what's happening. They willingly did this. They were causing this huge hole in someone's house. They know they'll have to answer that. But, man, what do they show us? They dared to do the costly. Someone had to pay for that roof. They knew that. And they willingly took on that cost to accomplish their mission because the mission matters way more than the money, matters more than the time, matters more than the labor. In fact, for these guys, if the sacrifice of some coin and labor and a new roof is all it takes to get their friends to Jesus, you'll make that payment every day. It's the best investment any of us can make. The mission matters more than the money, and the money helps fuel the mission. And for all of us who come to Jesus, we know, oh, we know there's a cost to following Jesus. Not just the financial cost. We sacrifice. We lay down our ways. We pick up the cross. We follow him. That's faith, laying it all on the line and sacrificing and, and, and feeling that cost to follow the one who sacrificed everything for us. It is worth it. It is worth it to grab hold of something greater, to let go of the things that stand in our way. There, is, there will be a cost to drawing near to Jesus, but the reward of Jesus is far greater than the cost. These guys dare to do the costly. Are we willing to pay the cost? So they lower him down. We have no idea if they have ropes. Every drawing has ropes, and everyone's like, oh, yes. <laughs> it could have been, it, exactly, it could have been like, dude, here we go. Jesus is there. Look out below. And they just, and they trust people to grab him and hope they're going to. It's like a crowd surfing, <laughs> like, right? And just hope someone catches you. It could have been like that. 
Maybe if they had to get tools, maybe they did grab rope. Maybe they came prepared with it. We don't know. But we think about these things that help it come to life for us. And these guys, they somehow lower him down. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Because they went to every length possible to bring their friend to Jesus. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to draw near to Jesus? Not just draw near to him, but are we willing to do whatever it takes to draw our friends and our family and our neighbors to Jesus? To break through that which separates us, to forego what others think of us, to use all the creativity and resources he has given us to draw close to him and bring others to him. It can be natural for us to hit that first rough patch of resistance and turn away and go home. But our encouragement today is do not let a blocked door stop you from coming through the roof. You got that? Do not let a blocked door stop you from coming through the roof. Do whatever it takes to draw near to Jesus and bring others to him. Nothing else in this world matters more. Dare to do the difficult. Dare to do the unorthodox. Dare to do the costly, for that is faith. That is trusting Jesus, and his way is better than our own. We will do whatever it takes. Does that mean we have to say no to good things? Oh, yeah. Does that mean saying no to, to being in this sporting event so our kids can be in the house of the Lord learning about them? Yeah. Does that mean I can't hang out with these friends who I really like anymore because I found that they're leading me on a path that I don't want to go? Yeah. Does it mean I have to give up things that I enjoy, that I like, for the sake of something so much greater? Yeah. Yeah. And is it worth it every time? Absolutely. Absolutely. We will do whatever it takes. These guys remove the roof. They make the opening. Sunlight and rubble is streaming down. The crowd looks up, and a man is lowered down somehow on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Nothing better. Now, it's safe for us to deduce, based on everything we've read, that these friends want their friend to be healed. But we also don't actually know for sure. We don't have an inside look at their intention. We just know they wanted to bring them to Jesus. Maybe they just wanted them to hear his teaching. Maybe uh, they just wanted him to be close. Maybe the men were in the house earlier and heard the authority with which Jesus was teaching and says, old buddy of ours needs to hear this. Let's go get him. We don't know. We don't have those details. But what we do know is that regardless of what their intention was, they knew if their friend came to Jesus, they were filled with an expectation that something, something great was going to come of it. They had faith that Jesus was the answer. And it's quite amazing because Jesus doesn't heal him at least not right away, not yet, not physically anyway. He's moved by their faith, and he says, your sins are forgiven. For us, we almost take that for granted. 
Because we know Jesus is in the forgiveness business. This is what he does. It's like you're watching TV and flow pops up. You know you're about to hear about insurance, right? Or Jake from State Farm. Is that more your speed? Or that, uh, that mayhem guy? Or that guy who played the president on 24? Man, all the insurance people have those characters. Sorry. <laughs> Why did I say all that? Oh, it's because forgiveness is what Jesus does. Insurance is what Flo does. Forgiveness is what Jesus does. And God alone has the power to forgive our sins. So when he shows up and people come to him, we know this. But for them, this would be shocking for a man standing before him to say, your sins are forgiven. In fact, as we learn later, the Pharisees are like, well, hold up. That's blasphemy. Only God alone can forgive. We know Jesus is God. They don't yet know that. They're coming to realize that. And so they hear this. After this crazy journey, your sins are forgiven. But because this was not an ongoing, common, known thing, imagine that man who just went through this crazy adventure with his friends. He agreed to let them carry him all the way down. I think, maybe not. I like to think that he agreed to let them go up onto the roof. Maybe not. And then to be lowered down. I'd like to think he agreed. Maybe not. But he's there, and he maybe is filled with his own expectancy of what Jesus might do. And the paralysis for him, that has been his if only his entire life. Say, if only. If only. This was his if only. It was his main barrier in life. It was his, if only I didn't have this, then I could do. If only I wasn't stuck in this bed then I could actually run around and hang out with my friends. If only I wasn't in this place, I could do that thing I've always been dreaming of. If only. We all have if onlys, don't we? We all probably have more than one if only. And like the man's conditions, a lot of our if onlys are actually serious things. They're not trivial things. This was no trivial thing. This man was stuck in bed. But Jesus' primary concern, as hard as it sometimes is to admit, it's not our if only. It's not his primary concern. What is his primary concern? The complete salvation of our lives. It's the eradication of all evil in this world to offer the complete forgiveness of our sins so we may be made right with him and live gloriously in his presence and in relationship, free of sin, now and forever and always. That is his primary concern. And like this man, it can be so hard for us to see past our if only. But Jesus can see past the if only because he's already there. And he gave this man what he truly needs. What the man didn't even know he needed. His deepest need. Removal of separation from that man and God. Removal of his sin. And what is Jesus showing us here but that God is doing a deeper thing, an even greater thing than just the remarkable miracle of physical healing. And though he does eventually remove this man's if only, praise God, and he does occasionally in your lives and my life remove those if onlys, praise God, it's not always the case, is it? No, 
Paul had a thorn in his side as if only stayed with him all his days. Some of us bow with chronic and significant pain for all of our days. For some of us, our if-onlys are here to stay, which means the hard work is to call on God to work through us and turn our if-onlys into even-withs. Even with this, I will still do what God made me to do. Even with this, which I didn't plan on, and it changes the trajectory of what I thought, I will trust he has a path and a plan and a purpose for me, and he will accomplish his purposes through me and in me. Our if-onlys, only by the power of God, can turn into even with. And this man, Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven saw their faith of, yes, the four men will get you to Jesus, those four men, and of the paralyzed man, we're going through that roof. Take me to Jesus. And he said, let's do it, anything to get to Jesus. And Jesus is not mad at the interruption. He is moved by their faith, and moved by faith, he does what only God can do and grants what he truly needs. What is your if only right now? Have you named it? You can't tame it unless you name it. You can't move from if only to even with if you don't rest in it and struggle with it. So write it down. What is your if only right now? Submit it. Surrender it to God. Do not let your if only stop you from coming to the feet of Jesus. Because even with, if it turns into an even with, whatever you are dealing with, God is still with you. Whatever you are dealing with, God is still for you. Whatever you are dealing with, God still cares deeply about you. Whatever it is you are dealing with, God will see you through. And God has, even now, even with, a work for you to do. So bring all your baggage, all of it. Clean out that closet to the darkest corner and bring it out into the light and lay it in the capable and loving hands of God. He can give you only what he can offer. These friends had faith that Jesus could give this man what he needs. And Jesus, seeing their faith, gives him exactly that as he forgives their sins. We don't have time to do a deep parsing of the rest of the passage, but... That does go on. Jesus does ultimately heal the man as well. The scribes do question in their hearts Jesus forgiving the man. The first of five instances throughout the rest of chapter 2 and the very beginning of chapter 3, which sets up Jesus' ongoing conflict with the ones who ultimately are responsible for his death. They question in their hearts Jesus forgiving this man the sin. He calls it out knowing what's in their hearts. And he says, okay, What's easier, this visible miracle of healing or to say your sins are forgiveness? What does he do? He then heals the man. He heals the man. He says, see, look, in this visible act, this visible miracle, believe in this so you can believe in the invisible miracle that I can forgive sins for I am Jesus. And you will come to know that. In this very first instance, their hearts are not yet fully hardened. Look at this. They all are amazed. All are amazed. That's without exception. We're amazed. The scribes in this moment are amazed. And what did they do? 
when you're amazed by what God has done, you glorify and you worship God. Jesus heals, Jesus forgives sins, Jesus does what only Jesus can do. And he is still doing it here and now today. So we will do everything we can to draw near to him, to bring others to him. We'll dare to do the difficult. We will dare to do the unorthodox. We will dare to do the costly. We'll dare to do whatever it takes to draw near to the king and further his kingdom. And we will call on Jesus to turn our if-onlys into even-whens and even-withs, not letting anything stand between us and our Savior who loves us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Uh, What an amazing thing to open up your true word and be moved and transformed again by hearing what you do and what you're about. God, you, you brought miracle and miracle upon that man and the good news spread from them. Who knows how far, God, as you brought your kingdom with you and pushed it forward. And God, your mission has continued. Your kingdom has spread all the way to where we are standing right now in this house of worship. God, we do believe and proclaim this is a house of miracles. God, every single breath of our lungs, every single beat of our heart, every single day is a proclamation that you are the miracle worker and you are still at work in this world. So we come with expectant hearts just as these men expected something amazing to happen when they come to Jesus. We approach you and surrender ourselves once more to your will and your way. Take our if-onlys and remove them from us, God, if it in your will and in your power, take them from us. But even if not, well, even with, we'll still praise you and love you and serve you, believing you have a purpose for that pain. And through that, we will have a story to tell as we seek to do whatever it takes to draw others closer to you. Work in us now as only your spirit can, God. We submit ourselves to you and we thank you and we love you and we glorify you in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.